evening to you. The book of Proverbs tonight, chapter 14 in our journey through the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. If you're with us tonight and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles right now with Bibles and just wave and get their attention and they'll get a Bible into your hands and you'll be able to not only hear the Word but then follow along with your own eyes. So we pick things up in chapter 14, verse 10. Solomon writes by the Spirit of God, The heart knows its own bitterness, and the stranger does not share its joy. And what this proverb communicates is that no one can know fully or exactly the pain or the joy that we experience in life. Sometimes when we uh, talk with another person, especially someone that we care an awful lot about, and we want to comfort them, and they're in uh, great difficulty, sometimes we'll say, um, I know exactly how you feel. And uh, prob- probably most of us have been guilty of that at one time or another, saying something like that. There's probably something that we should never, ever say. Even if, even if we've lost a child as they've lost a child, or we've been diagnosed as they've been diagnosed, or whatever the depth of the trial that can bring sorrow to a person's heart, it's altogether different for us individually. It's a different personality. It's a different life experience. And so how the bitterness of life and the difficulties of life hit one person, it's very, very different from person to person. And so uh, we we don't exactly know what somebody is feeling in terms of joy or in terms of bitterness in their life. And additionally, I think that it instructs us that we shouldn't get upset with people either when people can't fully understand our joys or our pain. Sometimes there's a certain kind of person and personality, they get frustrated. They're trying to explain this and they're wanting us to have the same degree of joy, to experience it the same way that they are. And try as we might, we're unable to do that. And I'm really, if I'm expecting someone to fully enter into my joy or understand my bitterness or my pain, then I am expecting something that they can never, ever deliver. They just can't do it. So, so many things like this, they're deeply personal. So you say, who can we share with? Share with the Lord. There isn't any bitter experience that we experience in life in terms of the lowness of the valley or joyous experience upon the mountaintops that he doesn't understand it completely. And so the only person that we can really expect to understand those things, to share those things fully with, to express ourselves with someone who can really understand it all the way is the Lord uh, Himself. And so He understands completely, and we say praise the Lord for that. How often it is, no matter how much we love our spouse or how much we love this person or that person, we realize we can only share 
so far. They can only understand so far. And where do we take the rest of it? Praise the Lord. We can take it to him, share it with him, and he understands. Verse 11, the house, a house speaks of kind of permanence, doesn't it? The house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent, that's a more temporal building, the tent of the upright will flourish. And so the house here of the wicked It appears to be permanent, like it's always going to go on forever, while the tent of the upright, it appears to be vulnerable, it appears to be uh, temporary, but in fact, only a home and a life that's based upon what is right has a prosperous future ahead of it. And that's what the proverb is um, expressing. Permanence and stability comes from character, godly character. It does not come from material wealth. And that's a good thing to realize. Permanence and stability comes from character. We live in a country that's turned the whole thing upside down. I can't give you the date. I can't give you the year. I can't give you the hour when it happened. I just know that one time in my lifetime... It was the other way around. And now, in the nation that I live in now, it's all upside down. And there's the idea that permanence and stability comes from material things independent of a person's character. And that is a lie and it is false. And what is true in terms of an individual is also true of a nation. And as a nation, we are blind in our pride the thinking because of our wealth, we have a permanence and we have a stability that's based upon that rather than realizing that a nation only has permanence and stability to the degree that its people and its laws are righteous. And we have flipped those things around and not only on an individual level but on a national level. See, we look at all the chaos of the world around us. Everybody's looking for where can I put my resources? Where can I put my money? Where can I put my net worth? Some place that's uh, safe, some place that's permanent, some place that's stable. And people are um, in a frantic uh, trying to find that kind of a place or they're moving it every month because things are moving so quickly. And a person might wonder, what in the world can I do in an environment like this? What is the greatest thing that we can do to assure permanence, stability in our lives? The greatest thing we can do is to continue to grow in our relationship with the Lord and to grow in godly character. That will always be valuable no matter what's happening in human history. Verse 12, there's a way or a path that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Nowhere is that proverb more important or more applicational than to the way of salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That is the path that leads to life. And people come up with all of their own ideas about how to be saved and how to get into heaven one day, all of these things. But it is only at, only on the path in which someone has put their faith in Christ for salvation, 
Only on that path does it end in a wonderful destination and wonderful blessing, uh, the way that seems right unto a man. People come up with their own ideas about salvation. The end of that path is uh, death. And, and, it, and so the application so strong related to salvation. And it also teaches us, and I think it's very important, um, to get us to stop and to think about what is the end of the path that we have put ourselves on. And every decision that we make in life puts us on a path. And sometimes, again, um, maybe like never before in our nation's history, but it's not just unique to our nation, people are making decisions emotionally rather than decisions based upon logic and based upon reason. We're in a very emotionally charged environment in the United States of America. And there's a lot of things that are working to keep us in that kind of a place. So people are putting themselves on all kinds of paths without stopping and thinking, where does this path lead? And you know, it's another good question to ask. Let me discover three, four, five people who are on the same path that I'm putting myself on only they've been on the path for 20 years or they've been on the path for 40 years and I want to see what this path translates into over the long haul. And so often you look at people who look like this is the greatest thing, this is the most amazing thing and you see them decades later and their life is just a ruin. But you look at God's people who choose God's path and God's way And you say, is this the right way? Is this the true way? I think I'll put my eyes on someone who's been on this path for 20 years or for 40 years or for 60 years and see what kind of a person and quality of life it produces. And then you look at that older saint. You say, yes, that's the path that I want to be on. It doesn't lead to death. It leads to uh, abundant life. And so, very important proverb. It's repeated uh, throughout the book of Proverbs and uh, for good reason. Verse 13, even in laughter the heart may sorrow and the end of mirth may be grief. And so, this proverb teaches us that people's emotions are um, very rarely simple. And I think this is true of the longer we live and the greater our um, life experience. When you're younger, you know, you have laughter and it's 100% pure joy, and and then you have grief and it's 100% pure grief and all. Then you live life, and uh, life in this fallen world, it's going to knock you around a little bit. And by the time you got hair the color of my hair, Uh, rarely is joy in terms of life circumstances pure joy. You've just seen too much. You've been through too much. You've seen too much pain. You've seen too much suffering. You've seen too much of what people go through. And so life ends up being this mix of all of these different emotions. Now, praise the Lord one day. And all all of this life is 100% a preparation for the life to come. 100%. It is all a preparation for that well-done, 
thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. And one day it'll be just pure emotion of joy. There'll be no sorrow mixed in, none of those things. That'll be all gone. But realistically, I don't want to ruin uh, the younger people in our room's lives. Is is this man going to ruin the rest of my life in this sermon? No, just trying to, you know, tell you some things here from the book of Proverbs. And so one day we'll be in heaven, all sorrow will go, but... Uh, at this point in, in life, uh, always the joys of life, they are visited with, they have a little tint of sorrow related to them. The things that are sorrowful in life have a tint of joy. Rarely is anything just purely one uh, or the other. And it's true of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53 declares, He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's to be like the Lord in this life. But I tell you, in the life to come, it's altogether different. Now, so it's this, that proverb speaks to the fluctuation of the emotions in life, and they really do uh, fluctuate. Verse 14, the backslider in heart, and that's important to realize. All backsliding begins in the heart. So the, the issues of life, the Bible says, flows out of the heart. So that's why we have to keep our heart. By the time you see someone that you knew who was walking as a, a Christian and all, and they're backslidden, and uh, one week you see them in church, and the next week they're who knows where, and you say, man, they just fell away from the Lord overnight, backslid overnight. No, 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 it never happens that way. The backsliding always begins in the heart, privately, long before it ever manifests itself outwardly. So the importance of looking after our hearts. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways. That's the cure for backsliding. <laughs> I'm going to go out there and I'll tell you, I've just been missing out being a Christian all these years. And I know there's just tons of fun out there. There's whoopee all over the place and I'm missing out. On I'm going to head out there and just constrain life as a Christian. And you head out there and, you th- and God doesn't even need to chasten you, though he might. He can just let you go have all of those things that you've left him for that he prohibits in his word. They are their own punishment. Go out and partake of all of those things and anybody that's got any conscience toward the Lord at all will come running back to the things of the Lord uh, sooner rather than, uh, than later. And so... The cure for backsliding is to be filled with our own uh, ways, but the good man will be satisfied from above. And so the proverb teaches us that each person will reap what they sow, whether the backslider or the good man. And so do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will reap corruption, and he who sows to the Spirit will reap everlasting uh, life. And so... Uh, this beautiful insight into uh, these things. Verse 15, the simple, and the idea here is the foolish person, believes every word, everything that they believe, everything that they're told. And the idea is that as a result of that, they're believing everything, they get pulled in this direction, pulled in that direction by their teachers and by philosophers and by family members and by the media or by, you know, pop culture stars and all of these kind of things. But it goes on to say the prudent considers well his steps. So to believe everything that we're told in life 
is a mark of gullibility, is what the proverb is telling us. We shouldn't believe that. When I was growing up, people used to say, don't believe everything you read in the newspapers, because all there used to be was the newspapers and three channels, and you had to get up off the couch and walk to the TV to change the channel. You got exercise. Don't believe everything you read in the newspaper. And I'll tell you, that's true of everyone and everything in life except for the Bible. That's why the Bible says, test all things and hold fast uh, to what is good. And so the wise man, it tells us, listens, but then he thinks through what it is that he's been told and he considers, where will this lead me in life? It doesn't just say, this person said this to me and everybody else is a lemming running off of the edge of the cliff. And so I'm going to do that too. No, he stops. It's a funny thing, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, um, my mom uh, took us to church for a part of my childhood. And uh, ultimately, when um, my twin brother and I moved out of the house, um, it it wasn't... um, That wasn't a pleasant experience. Um, And we just kind of went off and did our own thing. So, but we had, we had heard a lot of good things and we had really learned a respect for God, a respect for the Bible and, uh, and all of those things. But for a number of years, it would, if you'd have looked at Gabe's life or my life, it would have looked like it was a total loss in terms of, all right, we brought them to church. They heard all these things and everything, but the thing is just a complete loss. They're gone, you know. And yet it wasn't a loss. And I'll tell you, in a lot of ways it wasn't a loss, but I'll tell you in one way that it, that it really wasn't. Because of that background, when I then went to uh, college and went to other environments and different things and, and got exposed to other people in life, when people would say things that were contrary to the Word of God, I wouldn't necessarily say something in the classroom, but I would take it and, and, and those particular... I wouldn't believe those facts. I wouldn't believe them. So I wasn't walking with the Lord or anything like that. I don't know where I was with the Lord. <laughs> beyond, maybe beyond backslidden, not saved at all. I don't know. But it did that, did that outstanding thing. It really, it just that exposure to the Bible kept me from becoming gullible at a time where it's very easy to be gullible and to listen to everything and swallow hook, line, and sinker um, instructors that are impressive to you or professors that um, you look up to and all. And the Word of God uh, really... Uh, does that in your life, and it's important to test everything by the Word of God. Verse 16, a wise man fears and departs from evil. Are you afraid of evil? I'm afraid of evil. I'm not afraid of evil in a negative sense that I'm afraid it's going to get me because I know the hold that God has on me, but I have no interest. I, I don't know to what degree I understand the power of evil, but I understand it enough that I don't want anything to do with it. 
I don't want to give it a foothold. I don't want it close to me. And I say I, 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 because I know that you feel the same way in this room. I'm speaking for so many. And so here is a wise man. He fears evil and he departs from evil. And because he does, he spared the consequences uh, of evil. Do you fear evil tonight? It's an important thing to fear. Do you fear embracing that? Do you fear making that a part of your life? Do you fear putting that into the um, complexity and the fragileness of your mind, of your emotions? We should. We should fear it. And a wise man does fear it. But a fool rages and is self-confident and the idea is related to evil. I mean, he shows no self-restraint in participating uh, in uh, evil. And so the Bible teaches that evil is very, very real and it comes from a demonic realm. And no matter how tough a person is, I don't care. I'm going to do that. I'm going to embrace that, you know. Satan, come and take control of my life for these goofy things that, you know, you read about people doing and, and all of that. And no matter how strong a person is or how in control he thinks he is, you give a place to evil, and that person that does that will find themselves in over their head in a hurry. It is something to be uh, avoided, which means in this culture, which is a very uncensored culture, we will have to be self-censoring related to those things. We don't want to study anything through the eye gate and through the ear gate in our life we're to be discerning all evil the proverb is saying is to be avoided and i'll tell you that's a good word verse 17 a quick-tempered man acts foolishly in other words he's just his temper blows up and then he just does whatever he feels at the moment without thinking about the consequences and then it says, a man of wicked intentions, the person who uh, uses schemes and manipulations to take advantage of another person, that kind of a person is hated. In other words, by and large in the culture, we would rather endure the quick-tempered man than the manipulative man that's always working to uh, take advantage of, of other uh, people. So another warning about against a quick uh, temper, uh, everything that uh, we say under the influence of anger will almost surely we will regret all of it. If not what we said, then how we said it. And sometimes somebody will do something. I mean, they'll really tweak me on something, and I, and boy, it you know rises up in you. I wish I was completely sanctified, and I didn't have stories like this to tell you. But, I mean, it will rise up. And then one of the things that stops me even is, boy, if I give in to this, I know God is going to put his hand on me so hard and I'm going to have to end up apologizing to this person, which not apologizing to them means more to me than saying what's on my mind right now to them. So you turn around and you walk away. Listen, you do what you can to deal with these things and, uh, in your life. So the, the Bible says the righteousness of God is not produced by the wrath of man. It doesn't, it, God doesn't need our wrath in any way. Always makes a mess of things. Verse 18, the simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. And so the simple person is a person who loves foolishness over wisdom in life. And so that's the life that they'll live. They'll live a foolish life. 
And a prudent man, a prudent person, is a person who seeks more and more knowledge, and then in seeking more knowledge, they become rewarded with more knowledge, and uh, that knowledge and that wisdom becomes uh, a crown. It becomes the most attractive thing about their life, and of course, the greatest knowledge that we can seek is the knowledge uh, of God. Verse 19, the evil will bow before the good, and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. And this is a very important proverb because it has the remind, it reminds us of the ultimate triumph of good over evil. It's funny, you know, have all these times in history where um, we've spoken about it before, where it looks like evil is going to take over the whole world and it looks like it's dominating. And then one day, uh, one thing, one thing the devil just continually makes the same mistake over and over again. He will always overstep himself. He will always play his hand too far and he exposes himself. And so it looks like evil's going to take over. And then what happens? The world having been uh, exposed to this level of evil, there's a backlash against it. And then good is reestablished um, as something that people want to seek and to have mark their nation or their lives. And the reason that that happens over and over again, that, that you would think by now that evil, with all of the money that it's had, all the money that it has now, that it would ultimately trans triumph over good, it does not because it can't, because God has made the world, even in its fallen condition, for good to prosper and for good to triumph, and so it always will. And of course, um, the triumph of righteousness is going to mark the thousand-year reign of Jesus on the earth. He's going to rule the world with absolute perfect righteousness. No evil or any kind of wickedness will be tolerated at all. And the ultimate uh, fulfillment of this particular Proverbs found at the end of the age where Paul writing to the church at Philippi declares that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you know, realize every single person who's alive in this room and in the whole wide world and who has ever lived in human history is going to confess Jesus is Lord? They're going to do that. But it will be on the other side of death, and some will confess him as Lord unto salvation. And some will confess him as Lord under damnation because they have entered into eternity apart from the salvation that is found in Christ. But everyone will confess him as Lord. And the, so the fulfillment of the proverb here is going to occur that evil is going to bow one day completely and ultimately to good. Verse 20, the poor man is hated even by his own neighbor. He's looked down because he's poor. Oh, look who moved into the neighborhood. Looks like we had poor people moving in. Sometimes it happens, I guess. It's right here in the book. The poor man is hated even by his own neighbor. Looked down on because of his poverty. But the rich has many friends so-called friends, 
So it talks about those who want to be friends with the rich because they have a self-interest in being a a friend with them. So I think this is really the fallen nature. It's just about its worst, where we're judging people and shunning people on the basis of their money or their net worth rather than on the basis of their character. And God wants nothing to do with it. And, um, And it's nothing like God. Remember when... The Lord chose David, and he was speaking to Samuel. Samuel, even the spiritual man is the prophet Samuel in the Old Testament. He looked at the oldest son of Jesse. Here he is. Here's the next king. God said, no, don't look at his outward appearance. Because God doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks upon the heart. He looks for a completely different thing. And the David ends up being chosen. And Jesus said this kind of thing can happen within a church. I don't think we're afflicted with this at all. I never sense personally any respect of persons in this kind of a way. There's a separate. This is for rich people and poor people get seated over here. But Jesus spoke. I mean, James uh, wrote in the New Testament by the Spirit of God and warned churches against, ah, here comes a rich person. Give them the best seat up by the front and a little stool for their feet and everything. And the poor person comes in and you say, you can watch it on the monitors out in the fellowship hall or whatever. Uh, We love all of you out there, by the way. so that, but that, so is even in us, you know, even as Christians, and there's the warning against all of that. But I mean, surely, uh, po- the poor people already have enough challenges, uh, caused by poverty without having to then deal with being shunned or looked down upon by others because of their poverty. Now, the one upside of being poor, you say, all right, there's gotta be a silver lining here somewhere. The poor always know who their friends are. They never have to guess. Their friends are their friends (laughs) because nobody's going to be their friend for some ulterior motive. And the rich person is not sure so often exactly who their friends are. So if there's, again, an upside to being poor, it's that you know who your friends are and the rich don't have that security. Verse 21, he who despises his neighbor, and again, the idea is for being poor, Uh, That person sins. But he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. And he's happy because God will always reward the person who is good to the poor. Uh, God loves the poor. He loves everyone. The poor have been created in the image of God just like everyone else. God gives them the same spiritual riches that he gives to everyone else. And so to have a heart for the poor... And to help out the poor is to be like God, and God rewards that. Verse 22, they do, not, uh, do they not go astray who devise evil, but mercy and truth, speaking of mercy and truth from God and man, belong to those who devise good. And so uh, the result of each, those who uh, devise evil, they go astray, And uh, those who devise good, mercy and truth comes to them from God and uh, from man. And so uh, devise good, not evil. Verse 23, in all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. So here again is this speaking about the work ethic, which is very important for us to be reminded of, that work translates into a prophet. 
not only materially, a paycheck at the end of the week or the end of the month, but also in terms of character. Um, so hard work, it always results in a profit. I remember, I told the story a couple times through the years, but I remember years ago there was a man coming to our fellowship, and um, he was an ex-con, and... Um, I don't know how many ex-cons attend the fellowship now. I hope a lot of them. But uh, back then, it was uh, one out of uh, two. Uh, in, in those days, it was fabulous. So, um, but because he was an ex-con, and it was a difficult uh, time to get a job anyway, the best job that he could get, despite his experience in, in different fields, was uh, working at a fast food restaurant. And he felt that that was uh, way beneath him. And he really, he really ground against it. You know, he wasn't a teenager or a young adult. He was a little bit older by then. And all he could see is all the work that he put in. And then at the, every two weeks, this was the measly amount that he uh, earned as a result of that job. And so we got a chance to talk a little bit about the fact that what he was learning there on that job in terms of the value wasn't just what he was getting in terms of a check at the end of the pay period, but equally valuable and more valuable for him was the development of his character and what he was learning about hard work and a lot of other areas. So it's important to realize that. There's a lot of people all over uh, California, certainly in the Central Valley and Modesto, who are working at jobs that are below maybe what they're equipped for or what they're trained for or incomes that they're used to and all. And we look at it, and if it's just a dollars and cents things, it can be very discouraging. But we're also learning profiting from that work in terms of character uh, is, as well. The, the proverb also tells us that merely talking about work leads to poverty. And so there are some people that all they do is talk about work, but they never, ever do any hard work. Um, have you ever, don't, don't shout out any names. Have you ever known them? I've worked in places of, oh, please, don't put me with that person on the work crew. They talk all day about work, never lift a shovel. And, uh, uh, and so it only leads to poverty or termination. Verse 24, the crown or the glory of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. Now, that's quite a mouthful, isn't it? But the foolishness of fools is folly. And so the proverb teaches us that both the wise and the fool, both people, they wear a crown in life. Uh, and, and generally, the wise person enjoys some semblance of prosperity. If the, if the culture that they're in is kind of on the up and up, they will experience some prosperity. But the fool ends up having nothing to show for their lives and their labor except folly. Just a long history of foolishness. Verse 25, a true witness delivers souls uh, from the injustice of being framed in a court of law is kind of what it's speaking about. But a deceitful witness speaks 
lies, and uh, they give birth to terrible consequences. So the importance of honesty in a court of law, honesty is critical to a nation's um, judicial uh, system here. And uh, again, so the importance of honesty, but also how important it is in a court of law, and of course, nowhere is it uh, more important than in delivering the Word of God. I spoke, I think, a week or two ago about a Jehovah's Witness coming to my door and talking just for a moment with them and all. And I have a heart for them, and I want to save. I want them to be saved, like I want everybody to be saved. So I witness to them, but. Uh, they are in a category of cultists or people who are teaching wrong about God. They are teaching wrong about salvation. Uh, The one issue that people can't afford to be deceived upon, they are involved in that that deception. So I want them to be saved, but there's that, um, that realization that what they're about in terms of uh, not being faithful in representing the Lord is a very, very serious business. To lie in a court of law, somebody may spend 30 years in prison unfairly. As terrible as that would be. That would be terrible. But as terrible as that would be, it wouldn't even remotely compare to spending eternity in judgment and in hell, uh, far away from heaven because some false teacher or cultist has told them a lie about God. Verse 26, In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence, and His children have a place of refuge. And so the fear of the Lord, the greatest mark. How do we know a person fears the Lord uh, or reverences or respects the Lord? The greatest indication uh, in a person's life that we fear the Lord is that we obey His commandments. And obedience to the Lord, what that gives me as a father is it gives me the confidence that I am right in the middle of God's will. I am in a place that he can bless me as fully as he wants to bless me. And it not only produces a confidence in my life, but then it gives me that same confidence concerning my children, as the proverb uh, brings out, that our children will be uh, 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 also in a safe place under our care when trouble comes. And so sometimes it, well, I'll get into it. Verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. And so the fear of the Lord steers us into a blessed life, steers us away from the traps of death. And all of that's real. Verse 28, in a multitude of people is a king's honor But in the lack of people is the downfall of a prince. People are the greatest resource that a ruler can have. If they don't have people to rule, then they have nothing. They're not needed, unnecessary. That was the lesson that uh, Rehoboam had to learn, didn't he? The son of Solomon. They came to, all of the children of Israel came to Rehoboam after Solomon had died and said, we need some relief from taxes. Your dad about killed us with taxes and building all of these things. He said, come back in a week and I'll tell you what my decision is. He went to the older men for counsel and they said, be a servant to these people and, and they will be with you. They'll be for you. You'll be a great king and, and they'll be happy to submit to you. 
And uh, then he went and spoke to the younger uh, men who were his age, and they said, oh, listen, you can't show any weakness there. You've got to be tough with these people. You give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. So you go back and tell them, if you thought my dad was tough, you ain't seen tough yet. I'm going to whip you with scorpions. He whipped you with whips and blah, 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 and the whole thing and all. And here's Mr. Tough Guy. And what put him in his place? Ten of the twelve tribes walked. Okay, Mr. Big Shot, we're going to walk away and now see what kind of a king you are. And they walked away and he learned it the hard way. Sometimes, and I'm always careful about it, and, I, and, I, and I'm capable of it, so um, Lord, help me not to fall into it tomorrow. Um, but sometimes when I'm at conferences for pastors or... I hear different people talk, and sometimes someone will begin to vent related to the people that they pastor. Man, these people are so hard, and it's so thing. And I tell you, they just stab you in the back, and the whole, and the whole thing. And I just kind of like wanting to find a nice, safe place away from them, unless because God might just hit them with um, lightning. Well, if people didn't have troubles, then why in the world would God need pastors? I mean, what's so hard to understand about that? And so sometimes there can be that frustration uh, with people, but you have to be careful of that. And so people are complicated. It's the way that it is. But if they weren't, then there wouldn't be a need for rulers or those uh, in authority. And so got to be careful about Uh, All of that. Verse 29, he who is slow to wrath, slow-tempered, has great understanding. But he who is impulsive, quick-tempered, doesn't have any self-control. He exalts folly. And so a man that you look at a man who is slow-tempered, slow to anger, and you say, that's a man who understands something. That's a man who's wise. And when we lose our temper, of course, we tend to say something stupid And uh, so the proverb tells us that controlling our temper is always wise and losing it is never, ever wise. There's a lot in here about the temper, isn't there? It must mean that there's a bit of that going around. So I just assume that we need to hear it over and over again as we go through the book. Verse 30, a sound or literally a healthy heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness. Yeah, you heard it right, rottenness to the bones, speaking of the destructiveness of envy. So this proverb speaks to the effect that our emotions have upon our physical condition. Now, Solomon writes all of these things 3,000 years ago where, listen, you didn't want to have a surgery in those days. But today, I mean, with all of the medical advances and all of the studies and all of the everything, how much has been uncovered you know, today to speak about how much our emotions and our thinking affect our physical health. And, uh, and so much even, you know, that way rather than the other way uh, around. And so the proverb tells us that having a calm spirit or a tranquil, peaceful spirit is healthy for the body. And we know that now. So many, you know, the heart disease and the cancers and different things, it can be caused by a lot of different things, but a lot of that is caused by emotion that is unhealthy and uh, exacerbates a condition. And then you've got emotions like envy 
which have a, a negative effect uh, upon uh, the body. And so uh, you, you obeying God's word and walking with him and walking in peace, it's not only good for our spiritual self, but it's good for our minds, it's good for our emotions, it is good for our physical health uh, as well. It's the way to live, and, and our Creator knows it. Verse 31, he who oppresses or takes advantage of the poor reproaches his maker. God takes it personally. You do something against the poor because they're poor. They're poor. They're powerless. I can do this and get away with it. Ooh, never want to do that. All right, it's going to be some poor person, some sucker that's going to come and buy this car and I'm going to pass it on to them and they won't know because their options aren't any good. Oh, don't ever do that. You just sold that car to God. God looks out for the poor. But he who, but he who honors the Lord has mercy on the needy. One of the great ways that God has given us to honor Him and to bless Him is to show mercy to the poor. I wonder if we just, maybe in the, in the privacy of our own heart, just let me pose the question, don't shout out. When's the last time you did something for a poor person? I don't mean necessarily where you say, oh, I know that money, they're just going to go get drunk with it and they're going to go use drugs related to it. But I mean where you spot someone and you look and you say, you know, I think $50 could... Uh, make a difference in filling that gas tank for them this week or whatever the situation might be. And sometimes we, because our, our society is so competitive and it's, and we are educated in the, and kind of an idea that can be way down inside of us that, you know, people are, um, everybody's got a fair shake in life and uh, you can make out of life whatever you want it to be and they're in that place because of these reasons. That is so far from what the Bible teaches. This world is not a fair place for a lot of people. And so it's good for us to realize you say, well, I think I'm a poor person. Will somebody take an offering? Can I put like a little thing around my neck here for $50 for gas? And I'm talking to you as well. It may not be $50, but for you it might be 50 cents towards somebody who's poorer than you are. And it's a good thing to mark our lives. And God notices it and he honors it and blesses it. The wicked is banished in his Wickedness. In other words, when disaster comes on him, nobody comes to help the wicked. Oh, let's go help Mr. You know, Mr. Wicked down the street. He's got a problem with things. And now that's part of the price of being wicked. You don't have people coming to your help. But the righteous has a refuge in his death. In other words, he'll be cared for. His, he, he will be surrounded with wonderful people on his deathbed. That's a powerful picture Verse 32 there. And again, it's, it's a different way of viewing wealth and viewing riches and influence and favor. What good is it if a person, um, you know, has a catastrophe hit their life, in their life, but they've been so wicked, they've harmed so many people that nobody comes to help them. Who would want to be in that category as opposed to being someone who on your deathbed, people can't wait to get into the room to read a psalm to you or to play a worship song uh, to you. So it's, uh, uh, you know, 
very powerful, I think, and, and, but it might be just because I'm getting older um, and seen a few things on that. Verse 33, wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding. In other words, a wise man um, is someone who has a lot of knowledge but doesn't have to show it off in every conversation that they have. Um, if you ever read Dilbert, um, the comic there, and they've got that one guy called Topper. No matter what story you tell or whatever fact you give, this guy tops your story. It's that kind of thing. There are people that are like that. They always have to show off that they know more than anybody else in the conversation. And it's not a good characteristic to have. And sometimes we can have it and not even realize it until we turn to the Word of God. And the Word of God has a proverb like this, and it makes us realize, um, you know, it's wisdom in the heart of him who has, it rests in the heart of him who has understanding. And, um, and, and so he, he doesn't take, bring it, show, show all of it off. But what is in the heart of fools is made known. In other words, it always comes out. Verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach or a shame or a disgrace to any people. No nation will rise for very long above the righteousness of her laws and the righteousness of her people. And when you live in a country that is now the godly character of its people is ebbing rather than flowing, and you live in a country where the laws now protect and favor unrighteousness and persecute those who take a righteous stand upon issues, then you've got a nation that has it backwards and uh, a reproach or shame is going to come to that people. And that, of course, is the mistake that our nation is making. And uh, that's why we need to be praying for our leaders. We need to be living the Christian life that we're intended to live, being salt and light, and praying for revival uh, for our uh, country. So we are, as a nation, we're about done living off of the spiritual and moral character of previous generations that made this country into something great for all of its flaws, still made it into a great country. Well, it was character that did that. And a characterless people uh, can only uh, live enjoying the benefits of the, the consequences of the character of earlier generations before ultimately all of it gets undone and trouble comes. Verse 35, the king's favor is toward a wise servant. So we think of Joseph, we think of Nehemiah, we think of uh, Daniel in the scriptures, but his wrath is against him who causes shame. The king's wrath is against someone who gives him counsel, and that counsel ends up uh, being a disaster. And so the king, the king will always promote the wise servant, and he will demote the incompetent uh, servant. And so this proverb is a warning to the person who can't seem to get ahead in life, but that is due to their own incompetence or their own lack of wisdom in their decision-making. But then that person blames everybody else for their, their plight. 
They don't get promoted because that person is this and there's favoritism and there's the whole thing and, 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 this, and they're the victim. It's always, they can never be wrong. It can never be something in their life where they need to grow in their own decision-making and in their own character. The whole world's stacked up against them and they get a chip on their shoulder instead of taking responsibility for that they are where they are in life because of who and what they are. And, of course, there's a lot of that that uh, goes on, especially uh, now. People take a victim mentality when uh, I should have as much as this person over here. It's just a crack up. You know, I'm not going to get into it. Uh, you don't need to hear it, and I don't need to say it. So we'll stop there in verse 35 and pick things up in chapter 15 next time. If the worship team would come forward and get a chance to spend a little more time worshiping the Lord as we close our service out uh, tonight.